Welcome to the Daily Thunder Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Rabar, beat writer for DailyThunder.com. Every week, we will have guests ranging from national sports writers and local reporters to OKC celebrities and Thunder staff and players. This week, our featured guest is Washington Post national NBA writer and co-host of Sports Illustrated's Open Floor Podcast, Ben Gulliver. We discuss Ben's recent interview with Kevin Durant about his new documentary, Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul playstyle comparisons, the potential return of the NBA, possible future Thunder draft picks, and lots more. We have with us now Ben Gulliver, NBA writer for the Washington Post. So uh, we're going big time today. Uh, he also hosts the Open Floor podcast, uh, which is run by Sports Illustrated. And he has a new podcast out called The Goat Pod, uh, which... I haven't got to check out yet, Ben, but does it live up to the name? Well, I hope so. I mean, it, it's short for greatest of all talk. I do it with my buddy, Andrew Sharp, who used to be my colleague at Sports Illustrated, man. We're having a really, really fun time with it. Um, I guess the catch, people might say, is it's a subscription podcast, so you have to pay for it. But um, we've got ourselves just like a loyal, diehard you know, group of fans who are listening. I'm sure you, you've got the same thing with your show. And uh, it's just been a really fun community. Frankly, it's been keeping me sane. Uh, during this whole pandemic. So I look forward to it, you know, pretty much every week. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm curious. Uh, I, I follow you, Ben. I, I love all the work you do, whether it's podcasts, whether it's writing, uh, been following for quite a few years. As a matter of fact, uh, when this podcast used to be Mr. Presti's neighborhood before we merged with uh, dailythunder.com, you were a guest then. And I don't know if you remember, but uh, it was Katie's last season in Oklahoma city and uh, we were all kind of predicting where he would go, what he would do. And we all thought he would stay in Oklahoma City. Uh, <laughs> wrong. But Yeah, but, no, I, I'm, ba- I'm back five years later to let you know he left. I don't know if you guys <laughs> have heard that. But uh, he, he actually changed his mind. He, he decided not to stay. He went to Golden State. Um, you know, I, I think some people might say he, he ruined his reputation a little bit along the way. He did get two titles and two finals MVPs to show for it. Then he ruptured his Achilles. It's been a wild ride, man. I'm really sorry for you. <laughs> there you go, Ben Gulliver, with breaking no- news. You know, news does travel slow to Oklahoma. I know that you guys get it sooner in the on the coasts than we do here in the uh, Midwest. So I appreciate you breaking that news, man. People are going to be heartbroken when they uh, when I drop this podcast. But I've been well, a fan uh, of your. Hey, for- can I? I was oh, going to say, ahead. can I tell you a story about that that time period, by the way? Um, yeah. So I actually covered game six at the peak where Clay Thompson goes crazy, right? Yeah. But what I remember yeah. about that game more than anything, not not Clay Thompson going crazy. I remember a fan came up to Media Row and he said, this is what you need to write. And he like looked us all kind of in the eye. And you know, we're all national media members. And it's just like, who is this guy? What's he saying? And he's like, you have to blame Kevin for this loss. And it, it, it shook me. Like it gave me kind of like goosebumps. I think, you know, my story, right? Like I first got my start in the NBA and I wrote a a blog called draft Kevin Durant, where I was trying to convince the Blazers to take Kevin Durant. And so at that point he was still the golden boy, right? I mean, he was the guy who had had the amazing MVP speech. He hadn't left Oklahoma city. I just assumed that he had a 100% approval rating in the state of Oklahoma at that point, and it was probably pretty close, right? Didn't he have the restaurant that everybody used to go to and everything else? So to have that have that fan come up to me 
and say that. It just like boggled my mind. And I was like, uh oh, this could be a bad sign if there's certain people who are going this way. It just felt ominous. And so then they go back and lose game seven. Next thing you know, Katie winds up in the Bay Area with new leg tattoos and everything else. I mean, I just will never forget that guy coming up to say that. Um, and, you know, it's it's a it's it will stick with me until my dying breath. <laughs> I think maybe I'm going to I'm going to try to take a stab at maybe the thinking behind that. I think a lot of Thunder fans were like, well, at least Katie will know, like, if we lost, it was because he didn't play very well. So surely he wouldn't leave if he knew that we could have won had he played better. Maybe, maybe that was the line of thinking behind that fan's thought. I don't know. I love that because it's this idea of leaving something on the table, right? And we saw that actually in the Michael Jordan documentary a couple weeks ago where he's describing why he retired. And he was like, I had nothing left to prove. I won three titles. Magic and Larry never did that. Um, I, I fulfilled all my obligations to the city, to the, to the fan base. So I'm going to go play baseball. And I do think that, um, you know, that uh, idea of obligation or kind of owing something to people or trying to like go through that journey together I mean, it's going to define Giannis Antetokounmpo in Milwaukee here, his decision coming up. It defines a lot of players. It led LeBron to want to go back to Cleveland, feeling like he had unfinished business. And I think for, for Kevin, that's just something that he has to make peace with, right? Like, he made that decision, and he had to say, okay, you know, that's that's no longer a priority for me. And and there's trade-offs. Everyone's going to weigh that one differently. Uh, but I do like your your explanation. I think that makes a lot of sense. But I think a lot of Thunder fans felt that way, like surely he's going to come back because, you know, he knows that had he played better, we would be going to the finals. Now, I do want to talk to you. You you told me that you just literally today dropped a story about Kevin Durant. You just had an interview with him. Uh, you were able to talk to him about about contracting COVID tests and positive for COVID and uh, about a movie that he's he's a part of. Let's let's hear more about Katie. This is this is brand new stuff. Yeah, it's interesting because he's been really off the radar since rupturing his Achilles, right? And for obvious reasons, because like, what's the story? You know, you're injured. You know, you can give everybody's little life updates of now I've progressed here in my rehab. Now I've done this or that. But like, ultimately, until you're back on the court, it's hard to kind of can tell, you know, add to your narrative or, or give your fans another chapter. And I think for him, just kind of coincidentally during this downtime, they've been pursuing all of these media projects. And that's not, nothing new. I mean, he's been trying to expand on that front for a couple of years now, but this one in particular is pretty close to home for him. He's from Prince George's County. I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, know that just outside of Washington, DC. And that area in particular has become a huge basketball hotbed. Something like 30 NBA players have come from this little County in the last 20 years alone, including Kevin Durant, Victor Oladipo, Jeff Green, uh, you know, so a couple other former Thunder players as well there. So they're trying to get into the idea of what causes this, like how is this area able to have uh, so much success. And it's it's interesting to me because it's a lot of the same principles actually that Sam Presti would preach, right? Like remember in the early days, it was always about uh, creating infrastructure, right? Creating a climate, yeah. creating a culture, trying to make sure everybody's on the same page with the same philosophies. And what you're seeing in that that community outside of Washington, D.C. is a ton of infrastructure. You know, it's it's really well-respected high school programs, well-respected AAU programs, local recreation centers that players can go play at, and, you know, having legendary coaches in the mix, uh, and even having just, you know, generations of, of past grades to maybe able to look up to and kind of pay things forward. And that, that played a central role in, in Durant's life. He talks about growing up and, you know, being surrounded by some of the drugs and the violence and, and realizing that, you know, his choice and his escape was going to be the community center. 
Um, and then just he, he also kind of wonders in the interview I did with him, like, what would his life be like had he not had that opportunity? And, and he speaks pretty frankly about that. So I encourage people to check it out. It's on the Washington Post right now. But, um, you know, it also get this this project is getting released at a, a crazy time for it because he's the most high profile athlete to test positive for the coronavirus. He didn't do a lot of media about it. He didn't do a lot of the public service announcements that some of the other players like Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert did. He sort of announced it and, you know, just kind of let it go. And he wasn't playing, obviously. So that that contributed to why maybe maybe people, you know, let it slide by the radar. But, you know, he told me, you know, kind of just frankly, he's like, look, I'm alive. Um, and, and he said it was scary because it was an unknown situation. Um, he said he felt like he was supported throughout the entire time. Uh, he was asymptomatic. So he wasn't, you know, feeling it as terribly as people who are, you know, obviously being put on ventilators or, or potentially dying from this illness. Uh, but it's super duper scary for a guy of his magnitude, especially uh, I, I just, to me, it just drove home the point that like all of us are at risk, right? If, if Kevin Durant can get this thing, a guy who's, you know, worth hundreds of millions of dollars and a, a major basketball icon, we all need to be smart and following the best practices and doing whatever we can to keep ourselves safe. Check out shopgoodokc.com to pick out a gorgeous hand-printed shirt. They have a Daily Thunder collection featuring the sixth man of the year, DT logo tees, and a Together and Struggle print, which is also a part of the Solidarity collection that reps support for local businesses and the OKC community during the current crisis. Hi, this is Olivia Punchal, senior writer at Daily Thunder and co-host of our new show, Crossbolts. Tune into Crossbolts weekdays on Twitter and Instagram as Brandon and I debate everything from Thunder basketball to NBA fashion. Then chime in with your own opinion and let us know who won the debate. But let's be honest, it's probably me. Now back to the Daily Thunder podcast. Talking to Ben Gulliver, uh, first person to interview Kevin Durant since he tested positive for, for COVID-19. Uh now, one last Kevin Durant question since you got to talk to him and since there's been some momentum on the playoffs possibly happening this season, do you think there's any chance whatsoever KD suits up for the Nets if uh, the playoffs happen here in a, a month or two? Well, this is funny. I can confirm that he was on the call with the other NBA stars because uh, it bumped our interview time, our original interview <laughs> time. <laughs> so, like, I guess I'm, I'm lower on the pecking order than LeBron, right? Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, the stars want to play for sure. And Kevin won't play uh, if they come back. I mean, they're, they're taking it slow with him. And, you know, even a guy like Steph Curry, who's on that call, probably won't play. And it's possible Damian Lillard, who was on that call, just won't be in the playoffs. So he won't get to play. But we're talking about a huge, huge amount of money here that's at stake. If they're not able to get the playoffs back on, it could change the entire collective bargaining agreement for next year going forward. So not only are the players going to potentially have their salary withheld this summer, but it's almost like you go back to the drawing board and have to renegotiate things because all of the profits and uh, revenue that they were assuming that they were going to have just aren't going to be there because there aren't fans going into stadiums. There aren't people buying as much merchandise and there aren't games being shown on television. Right. So they have a lot of motivation to get this thing back on. And the superstar players who have the biggest salaries have more motivation than anyone, not only because of the financial side, but also because of their legacies. You know, of course, guys like LeBron, Giannis and Kawhi Leonard want to have a playoffs uh, if it's safe because they have titles uh, at stake, right? right? I think the problem for the NBA 
on both sides of this negotiation, both the owners and the players, is that there are still some factions, right? There are players who are scared for their health who don't necessarily want to play. There are guys on lottery teams who are saying, look, we don't have anything to play for, right? Like, why are we going to risk anything? And the same deal for the owners. You've got owners who say it's going to be pretty expensive to get things back on. Um, Why bother, you know, especially, you know, to, to continue a regular season? Why not just go straight to the playoffs? And so for Adam Silver and, you know, leaders like Chris Paul, the head of the players union, um, and LeBron James, kind of the loudest voice, right? It's on these guys to kind of build a consensus. And that's a really tricky process. And we're going to see how it plays out. I mean, obviously, they don't want to give up until they absolutely have to. And I think it's also important to point out, they don't want to let media voices or outside voices make this decision for them, right? So when guys like Charles Barkley and, and Shaquille O'Neal come out and say, hey, just cancel the season, that's the worst case scenario for those guys. Because ultimately, like they want to be in charge of their own fate. They don't want to be bowing to public pressure if they feel like they can save uh, the playoffs in kind of a safe way. But the big problem they have is the testing. They got to figure out how to do it quickly. They have to get large quantities of tests. They have to be okay with the public backlash of using tests for uh, athletics or, or sports rather than just for you know uh, a typical healthcare professional's purpose. And um, those things they're still working through. And and maybe time will be on their side there, but maybe not. It really is a tricky thing because you have to balance the pros and cons and the risk of, I mean, health and financial issues. And then, like you said, you know, superstars wanting to play. I mean, it's it's a tricky situation. Do you think the league will continue to be more cautious in terms of pushing ahead with play? Or you think they're going to plan around the PR optics rather than public health? What What's your prediction? Do you think that there'll be a, a playoffs at least this season? I'm pretty skeptical. I mean, I don't think that they're going to play the regular season. I think they're going to try like heck to play a playoffs. Um, you know, I, they have this bubble scenario, which they've they've kind of got the rough outline of, you know, trying to, to do something in Orlando and Las Vegas. I mean, that part makes sense to me. It was a proposal that I floated all the way back in, in March to, to kind of cut down on the travel and limit the exposure for these players. Here's the tricky part. And you guys know this better than anyone because it played out right in front of you in Oklahoma City. Yeah. Uh, and, and by the way, you guys are really right in the middle of everything with Chris Paul <laughs> and yeah. Kevin Durant and everything else. There's so many ties uh, to OKC in this whole story. But Rudy Gobert tests positive. Right. And we all can salute the, the public health response. First of all, they tested him. Right. They didn't wait. Uh, they got on that pretty quickly. As soon as he was showing symptoms, th- there was no delay. And then the Thunder's employee went running out onto the court to stop the game and to limit any other exposure that could have taken place. Uh, kind of secondhand from Rudy Gobert, passing it on to other players potentially, uh, or and then passing that on to fans. So that was handled brilliantly. But still, we saw that one case potentially also led to Donovan Mitchell's infection and also led to potentially Christian Wood's infection, right? So if one player tests positive, but he's in, or but maybe he's asymptomatic or the test result doesn't come back quick enough, you could have an entire team test positive very quickly, very easily in a playoff scenario. And then you have to quarantine that entire team. That could lead to like forfeited playoff series, right? I mean, that's a very realistic worst case scenario that we've pretty much already seen play out uh, with the Utah Jazz and their opponents here already that could throw the entire plan of a playoff uh, upside down. And, you know, I think not only do you have thousands of people continuing to die around the country, which hangs over all of this, but you've also got a lot of other events across the country that are being canceled and being pushed out, you know, uh, kind of across the board. So, the NBA's other risk here is that if they do try to plunge forward with this, they wind up looking out of step with society. 
they wind up looking a little bit careless and reckless. And, um, you know, I, I know Adam Silver, that's not necessarily the image that he has for the NBA. And, and maybe their hand will be pressed because there's so much money being lost that they'll feel like they have no other choice. Uh, but it's a, a real concern that they have to deal with. Absolutely. One thing I got you on here, I got to talk to you about because you're well known for this philosophy, this theory of playing with purpose versus playing with a purpose. Uh, and it's fascinating. And I know uh, some people get it. Some people don't get it. One of the examples used is, is beloved Thunder icon Russell Westbrook. Could you kind of explain to our listeners, anyone who may not know, uh, playing with a purpose versus playing with a purpose and, and how that equates to maybe a Russell Westbrook or Chris Paul? Absolutely. So it's a great contrast because I would actually say that Chris Paul plays with a purpose and Westbrook, you know, especially during his uh, highest statistic seasons where he was just kind of doing whatever he wanted, was definitely playing with purpose. So here's the difference. I mean, basically, if you're playing with purpose, you're playing hard, you're giving max effort, um, you're, you know, kind of, for lack of a better phrase, balls to the wall, right? You're going all out right. 100%. You're, you're bought in from an energy standpoint, right? But playing with a purpose is a little bit different. It's a little bit more philosophical. It's trying to step outside of yourself and to look at all 10 players on the court. You're trying to be more of an orchestrator rather than being a wrecking ball. You're trying to control the game, control the pace, dictate momentum, keep your teammates involved, make sure your teammates are happy, satisfied, and performing to their top capabilities. It's about you know understanding the game you know from a 360-degree perspective. And I think that you know, Westbrook, incredible player. And he's a guy that when you talk to coaches, they always have him very high on their list of guys they would want to start a franchise with, especially during his younger years, because you're just getting guaranteed effort every single night, right? You know exactly what you're getting from him. Now, he might be unpredictable from play to play, but you know that from a, a character standpoint and a leadership standpoint, you know what you're getting because he's a consistent guy who uh, will do it every single night. If he needs to average a triple-double, he's going to be able to go out there and do it. Now, the problem that I've had with Westbrook is that during the playoffs, when the pressure mounts and pressure impacts every single player differently, he tends to look to himself for every answer rather than stepping back and playing with a purpose, taking that full, wide-ranging approach of saying, okay, how are we going to do this rather than how am I going to do this? Who can I empower to help me here uh, rather than who can I run over and run through, right? And that's been my central challenge with him during the playoffs. And to me, it's just not a coincidence that he gets to a certain part of every single season and, you know, he winds up just basically running into brick walls and not being able to, to have the chess moves and the counters that are necessary to get past some other teams. When you look at some of the teams that beat them, whether it's the Utah Jazz or the Portland Trailblazers, like on paper, they shouldn't be losing those series, right? And in, in those kinds of situations, I always turn to the best player and say, okay, what happened here? Um, not necessarily to blame them for everything, but to say, how could they have done things differently? And I think when you look at shot selection, turnovers, decision-making, potentially losing the mental game, you know, with Damian Lillard in that playoff series as well. I mean, to me, it's just, you know, Westbrook, he's always there. He's always showing up. He's always playing hard, but is he playing with a purpose? And that's the part that I've always thought was missing. You know, with Chris Paul, he's a much better orchestrator to me. Uh, I think he's he's really made guys like DeAndre Jordan. He's created their careers for them uh, with his playmaking ability uh, and with uh, his unselfishness and just his ability to dictate games. Now, for Chris Paul, he's had his own playoff struggles, too. I mean, uh, injuries have popped up at, at certain points 
And there's also been some pretty high profile uh, late game meltdowns, uh, including, you know, one against the Thunder back when he was uh, with the Clippers. Uh, but to me, if I'm, I if I have to choose one of those two guys, who do I trust in the playoffs to lead a winning team uh, to get the most out of his teammates and to create a functional environment for anyone uh, or for everyone? Rather, uh, I'm going to take Chris Paul. So that's the Thunder point guards past and present. Let's piggyback on that and talk about Thunder point guard of the future. Shea Gilgis Alexander. What's your thoughts on Shea? whether it be playing with a purpose versus playing with purpose or just as a player overall, what do you think about future building block for the Thunder Shea? Well, I am amazed that Sam Presti was able to get him in that trade. And first of all, like to me, Sam Presti is the executive of the year this year by a country mile, because not only yeah. did the team not take a step back um, and not only did they have just a great, you know, overachieving type season and, and they had a chance to win a playoff series this year, which they didn't last year. But all the draft picks are just obscene. Like the level yeah. of, of pilfering that he got at both those trades. I'm probably preaching to the choir on this one. But like I, to me, it's like he is so far ahead of the other uh, candidates in the executive of the year conversation that there's no conversation. But what surprised me about him being able to get Shea, and he's the obvious target in that, in that Paul George trade because he's the best young Clippers asset. But Doc Rivers would just rave about this guy last year. And I'm based in Los Angeles. And you know I did a couple different stories with Doc last year just because they were in a transition as an organization and they were trying to find their identity a little bit. And they were this blue collar underdog team, but it was clear to me that they wanted to be more than that. You know, Balmer just wanted to win titles and they had these big dreams of going out and getting Kawhi Leonard. But you always just kind of wondered in the back of your mind, like, are these guys really going to be able to pull it off? And throughout that time period, it did seem like Shea was their future. It was like, well, look, you know, our backup plan is like, we're just going to kind of ride with this guy. He's really special. He's got just an incredible physique, the long arms, the deflections, but the natural scoring instincts too, a little bit of a, a different style game, maybe a little bit of herky jerk to him, but still, you know, very, very high ceiling, high potential. And there was a lot of pride among the Clippers for being able to grab him. Because if you look around in that draft order, some of the guys who were taken either directly before him or directly after him, like that was a home run pick, right? To get Shea where they got him. So uh, when they announced that trade, I was less staggered by all the draft picks that uh, Presti was able to peel off. And I was more impressed that he was able to snag that guy. And I think he's already shown you in Oklahoma City a pretty high ceiling and a lot of those things that Doc Rivers would rave about. Yeah. Thunder fans all excited about Shea Gilgis-Alexander and his potential ceiling. Uh, you think, uh, I'll throw this out there, you think future all-star is, is in his future? You think that's possible? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got, it could be a while. Um, and that's a that's a tough position to crack, right? That Western Conference backcourt is just yep. loaded every single year. But yeah, definitely because if you're looking at his age peers, there's some other good guys out there. De'Aaron Fox, I think he's he's knocking on the door. Booker got in this year, uh, and he'll probably be able to get back just because of his uh, you know his high scoring number in future years. And he's pretty popular, but I think um, you know he's he's pretty close to the head of the class for you know guys in that early 20s range in terms of age. Now, pushing ahead even farther into the future, I know that you follow Bronny really close, LeBron James <laughs> Jr. <laughs> and I'm curious, uh, do you think the Thunder, you know, you talked about all the draft capital that Presti was able to get from the Rockets and from the Clippers. Do you think they should spend as much of that as possible to have the best shot at getting Bronny? And it, it should be 2023 probably is when he's coming out is what we're guessing. And how do you think that he compares to future prospects, Imani Bates, 
and local kid Cade Cunningham, who's going to be playing for the Oklahoma State Cowboys uh, here next year. Well, first of all, this is incredible. This is the first 2023 draft question I've gotten ever by anyone. <laughs> so sal- salute to you on that one. I mean, I think, first of all, it's it's early for Bronny, okay? He does not deserve to be in the conversation with kind of like high-level um, high school players yet. Now, I was really impressed for his progress as a freshman. When I went to go see him, I was, I mean, he's dunking easily. He's He doesn't have his dad's size and frame, but He's got really good change of pace in the open court, you know, good just instincts and feel for the game. He's throwing touch passes and he's getting off the deck. And you can see if he grows, I mean, this guy's going to be a real problem. Like he's going to be really good. But I think, you know, if you're going to use one of those draft picks on Brawny, I think you need to keep in mind that's going to be your recruiting uh, tool to try to land LeBron. Right. So you have to ask yourself as a franchise, are you ready for the entire, you know, father son experience? Like, are you ready to be the, the Ken Griffey Jr., Ken Griffey Sr. landing pad for LeBron and Bronny? Um, or right. do you have a different building timeline, right? Like, you don't want to compromise Shea's prime by kind of saying, hey, here's this, like, you know, 40-year-old LeBron James uh, retirement, you know, pre-retirement tour <laughs> where he gets to play with his dad. So that, that is the one downside of, of drafting Bronny. But I've said this. Bronny's going to get drafted no matter what because LeBron wants it and LeBron's practically a billionaire. And if you're a billionaire in this day and age, you can pretty much get what you want. So, you know, I don't know if that means it's going to be a first round pick or if some team takes a flyer on Bronny in the second, but I am very, very confident he will be an NBA player. Yeah. Well, us Thunder fans are always looking to the future now that we have all these draft picks. We're like looking at, <laughs> ooh, who's coming out in 2022? Who's coming out in the double draft? Who's coming out in 2023? Uh, so we're excited about the future here in Oklahoma City. Uh, if you, if they were able to land Bronny and LeBron James, both of father and son, do you think that would kind of cement OKC as the most star-studded franchise of the modern era? When you look at Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Oladipo, Chris Paul, Shea, Carmel Anthony. I mean, right? Well, I'm already just picturing now, does Bronny just show up on day one and get his own restaurant like KD? You know, does, <laughs> does Bronny's become the new steakhouse that everyone's going to? I got to be honest, man. I would go to Bronny's Steakhouse if, if it was there. And I'm a, vegeta- I'm a vegetarian, so that tells you how excited I am about that prospect. But look, I mean, he's going to be a phenomenon. That's the thing. Like, it's really weird in this day and age to say this, but like, you know, guys who are these celebrities as teenagers on Instagram, like there's a benefit for some of these organizations organizations to draft them, just not even basketball wise. Right. But just to like get buzz around your team and everything else. And again, hopefully you're not using your lottery picks on guys just to kind of, you know, get your clout up on Instagram or whatever else. But, um, you know, these guys are legitimate brands that they bring, uh, you know, their own fan bases to an organization. And if they pan out, um, it could really be something special. What I'm fascinated for on the draft is, which team is willing to buy in on LaMelo ball this year. Right. Yeah. Uh, be, because you see the, the cautionary tale of like how Lonzo worked out in LA and how the dad got in the way. But I think that the dad's act has kind of, you know, run its course. People don't really care what he says anymore. They just kind of laugh it off. It's not really as disruptive as it was there for a while. I think LaMelo is a better prospect than Lonzo was. And I liked Lonzo's game a lot. Uh, but I think that LaMelo is just kind of more suited as a playmaker uh, ball in his hands type of guy. And there's no doubt his fame and his reach is huge for a player of his age. So somebody's going to talk themselves into those, those positives and look away on those negatives. I'm just not sure who it would be. You know, to be honest, this is like the sick part of my brain thinking, I kind of hope it's the New York Knicks. Like, can you imagine, 
Can you imagine LaMelo Ball hits Madison Square Garden? I mean, God, like the the amount of attention he would generate would just be crazy. Especially since he's probably going to be playing with Chris Paul, right? <laughs> I mean, all the rumors about Chris Paul going to the Knicks and the Knicks are interested. Uh, and well, of hey, the can I there with Rose? Can I ask you a question on that? Yeah. So I am kind of convinced that, like, let's say there is no resumption of the season, that Chris Paul is a candidate to have a little bit of a fall off after the coronavirus, just because of the age factor. And just because he had such a darn good season and, you know, really surpassed most people's expectations. Um, would you be open to trading him in that type of scenario, like a sell high scenario, or do you want to run it back with Chris for one more year? I think if you ask thunder followers, thunder fans, this question, I think you would see a 50, 50 split. I think wow. half, Half the fans want to see this team come back and run it back because, I mean, I'll tell you, fans fell in love with this version of the team. They had so much fun with this team because there were zero expectations. Nobody expected this team to do anything. And to see them, I mean, the night of the Utah game, they were playing for the four seed. If the Thunder beats them, they're, they're the four seed. That's home court advantage in the playoffs. Nobody expected that. Everybody expected them to tank, rebuild the season. Uh, so... A lot of fans want to see what this team can do, so a lot want to run back. Now, then a lot of fans are also like, okay, but Shea's the future. Let's The, the smartest thing is to, to build a contender around Shea. So if you can sell high on Chris Paul, you know, drop that contract and maybe get first-round draft pick or young players for Chris Paul or do a sign-and-trade for Danilo Gallinari. Fans are excited about that, too. I, If you're asking me personally, I see both sides. I'm split. I'm having so much fun with this team. And Chris Paul has been so great both on and off the court here. And he's been such a good mentor to Shea and the young players. Uh, I love seeing that. But, you know, I, I am excited about the prospect of possibly flipping some of the veterans and and rebuilding, retooling around Shea and what Sam Presti can do with all these first-round draft picks and these assets and what those could become. So, so I'm torn on that, honestly. I, I see both. You know, if you ask me tomorrow, I'll probably give you – a different answer than today, just because I, I I'm on both sides of that fence, I guess. No, man, it's a fascinating conundrum and situation. I mean, my big thing from OKC side is like, who do you really want from the Knicks? You know, like what do right. they what do they really have to offer? So that's a that's a hang up for sure. Um, the other thing is you have to bring back a lot of salary in that kind of a trade, and so you know you want to make sure that it's not long term salary. You're not putting yourself into a tough spot. And Presti's been great at that. I mean, I don't think he would take back, you know, some uh, onerous contract just to get rid of Chris Paul. I think he'd want to, you know, really have a pretty uh, helpful and flexible type package there. You know, I have another question and this is just open-ended, you know, kind of rhetorical, but like, is the allure of New York going to go down in some ways because of the coronavirus, right? Like people always talk about oh. these big cities being this destination market and it's great for marketing and like Kevin Durant and, and Kyrie Irving team up in Brooklyn and everything else. But there's like real challenges to life in New York City right now, right? I mean, just day-to-day -day challenges and it's already super expensive. Some people love the lifestyle, but enjoying the lifestyle is going to be hard. And I think there's going to be a lot of fear and unknown as we come out and, and everything starts to open up, especially in the big cities. I mean, it's going to be a tense time period. Like personally, I don't know about you, but like if I was told, hey, like you have a job offer in New York City, like personally, I would be more hesitant to move there than I would have been three months ago, right? And I already didn't have a huge uh, interest or desire to, to move to New York City in the first place. So uh, to me, I just think it's something to kind of keep in the back of your mind is like this coronavirus thing could have 
secondary implications on things like free agents decisions and uh, just other power balance issues within the NBA that we haven't even really considered yet. That's a fascinating uh, point. I honestly hadn't given that any thought, but you're absolutely right. So what you're telling me, Ben, is that for once the small markets might actually have an advantage in some sort of way uh, against the the big market teams. Here's what I'm saying. In Oklahoma City, if you have a million dollars to spend on a house, that's going a lot farther right, than a million-dollar condo in New York City. I mean, you've got yourself a whole spread. You definitely have a basketball court in the backyard, right? And that's yep. something that even guys like Giannis don't have right now uh, is, is easy access to hoops. So, you know, I'm not saying it's going to turn the whole NBA upside down. I mean, I just kind of raising this issue of, like, you know, life right now in this shutdown is very different just depending on where you live and what your life is like. Some communities are not affected at all. Uh, you know, I, I've heard from people in Utah, it's like, yeah, we don't have any issues here. You know, we're able to go on little road trips and everything else. And it's completely fine. I've heard from people in New York City where they just hear sirens all day long and it's really scary and haunting and um, it's completely dominated their life. And obviously there's there's no ability to really work out safely or anything else um, here in Los Angeles. It hasn't been horrible, at least for me. I mean, the, the numbers have started to add up. But I'm at least able to like walk around my neighborhood. I don't have to worry about getting into elevators and uh, you know taking a subway to get anywhere or anything else because you know the sprawl aspect of the city kind of helps. And you know I think when you're being forced to confront all these just kind of fundamental questions about quality of life and your priorities and your family safety and everything else, I don't know how that doesn't impact uh, players' decisions to some degree. And of course, you know they're one percenters, right? So there's always going to be a solution to those problems. Uh, you get yourself a driver, uh, you know, and everything else. But I think um, uh, this thing changes all aspects of life, and I think it will change all aspects of the NBA too. No, that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. If, if it were me personally, yes, I, I I would be hesitant to move to to New York City or a big city uh, in light of all this. I mean, I've been, you know, here in Oklahoma, there's a lot of land, a lot of spread. You know, we're spread out pretty well. We, we social distance whether we want to or not uh, just because of the way everything's laid out. And so, you know, I do feel like, you know, as far as those things go, I would feel safer in a place like Oklahoma City or a smaller market than I would in New York when it comes to, to COVID-19 and those things. So great point. Now, that's this is a great uh, seg into to my last question, because you're talking about different cities and different places around the country. And I know that you always ask your Instagram followers to, to send dispatches from around the globe's parks and monuments so my final question for you, anything you received or seen in person that stands out in Oklahoma as, as a world traveler? And, and to piggyback that, where do the ghosts of the Skirvin Hotel rank? So I have never stayed at the Skirvin Hotel because I'm such a loyal Marriott person. I've heard a million stories about that. <laughs> now, I'm trying to remember what the animal. Oh, it's a turtle. My favorite discovery in Oklahoma, and I've, I've actually done a number of little walks and hikes around Oklahoma City during playoffs. And one year I was able to get up close and personal with a turtle uh, during a walk. I had never seen it was pretty big. I mean, it wasn't a tortoise, but it was a fairly big a land turtle. And since that moment, I've actually seen a couple here in California as well. But before that, it like stopped me in my tracks. And your listeners are all probably laughing and saying we see turtles every day. But for me, that was like pretty cool. So I got down like almost like on my knees with the iPhone. I'm taking all these different like uh, funny shots of, of turtles and um, you know, immediately posting them to my my social media and sending them to everybody. Like, look what I just found, you know. And uh, I don't know if it was a snapping turtle 
I remember getting a lecture from somebody at one of the hikes who was like, you know, be careful with that thing. He'd come after you and everything else. So, um, that was one moment I have, there's a really nice Lake there that people just fish right off the, the side that I did a, a walk around one time. That was beautiful. Had these big, I don't know if they were Oak trees or what they were. So those are some of my best memories from Oklahoma. One year, it's funny because I've tried to go to all 50 States. Uh, and there was one year where there was like two days off during the middle of the playoff series. And I had not been to Arkansas. It was like one of my last four states that I haven't checked off. And I, I've since been to Arkansas. And I considered like driving on the off day to like the Ozarks just to see them, to say I had been there and come back. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Is that something you guys do? But I, I didn't actually pull the trigger on that trip because I think there was a, some weather issues or something along those lines. But that was on one of my bucket lists for like a, an Oklahoma City off day. Um, is, that a, is that a road trip you guys ever do or no? Yeah, yeah, I, I think uh, I think most people in Oklahoma have probably done a road trip to the Ozarks. Yeah, it's it's one of the fun places to go to. And if I if I could be so bold as to suggest, if you haven't been there, there's a really nice uh, tiger and lion exotic animal park in Winniewood, Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've heard I've heard a few things about that. You know, it's funny because like that is the kind of place that I would go. Like if I was I was if I was driving down the freeway, I, first of all, I love road trips and I love oddities. So if I if I knew nothing about the Tiger King and I just saw the road trip, the chances of that billboard, like I saw the billboard, the chances right. of me stopping and going there is like ninety nine point nine percent. And if I got if I got in and they were like, hey, here's like our normal like you know ten dollar pass or whatever, but if you spend like fifty dollars, here's what you get. Like the chances of them being able to upsell me on virtually any tour is like a thousand percent. I would then still win. And you know. Honestly, like that movie, I mean, very problematic, kind of just goes without saying. And you know, ultimately, like really sad. I felt really bad for the animals at the end of it. But, you know, I could ease like when they were doing the shots of like, the, like, remember when he comes into the, the like reception area or I guess it's the gift shop. And he's like, hey, guys, we just had like a serious disaster. Somebody just got their <laughs> their limb ripped off. So, like, you know, no tours today, but like you can come back tomorrow. I can see myself being in that room and being like, God dang it. Really? Like I have to come back tomorrow. Like not even having the perspective realizing of like what a serious situation it would be. So I guess long story short, I'm, I'm glad I never went there because I could easily see myself just falling into a bad situation that I couldn't control. Uh, that's amazing. That is incredible. Uh, ben Gulliver, always so good to have you on, on the show. The Washington Post, Open Floor Podcast, and the new Goat Pod. Uh, ben, thank you so much for coming on, and keep up the great work, man. Love everything you do. No, I appreciate you saying that, and, and good luck with the show, and congratulations on all the success. And uh, maybe I'll get back to OKC one of these days. I, I need you guys just to make like maybe the second round of the playoffs, and I can get myself back there. How's that sound? And that sounds good. Hey, uh, it's going to happen if if the playoffs happen this year. It's going to happen. Then you and me will take a trip down south about an hour and a half and, and check out that tiger park. <laughs> Perfect. All right, man. Stay safe. All right. You too. Thank you for listening and for supporting the Daily Thunder podcast. If you leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts, we may just read it on the show. You can follow our guest, Ben Gulliver, at Ben Gulliver. And you can follow me, at Brandon Rabar, as I cover the Thunder Beat. If you subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash dailythunder, you'll receive early access to Daily Thunder content, including bonus podcast segments, the exclusive weekend edition newsletter, and other perks like free shirts, special pricing at local businesses, and more. This podcast is produced by Rachel Jameson, and you can follow her, if you're feeling charitable, at Rach Jameson. 
Send your questions and feedback to dailythunder at gmail.com and stay on dailythunder.com every day to catch the latest Thunder news, recaps, analysis, interviews, and all kinds of nonsense. We'll see you next week.